0: Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I have an awesome guest, educator Ashley Causey golden She founded Afrocentric Montessori, which blends African principles into Montessori education. And she's the co-creator of Gather Forest School, which offers a totally outdoor learning experience with the mission to guide children in their lifelong relationships with the natural world. She's also the mother of a toddler, and she's actually hiding out in the closet to be able to record with me today. Ashley has a lot of wisdom and experience to share, and I'm really excited to have her here. Hello, Ashley. Welcome to Unruffled. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited. Thank you. It's so great to reconnect with you. I really wanted to share your work. It's so inspiring and uplifting and really life-changing, and I really wanted to share it with my listeners here on Unruffled. Could you talk a little about how you got into this, the work that you're doing now,
1: how you got on this path? Yes, because it definitely wasn't a straight path. So my background is in elementary and special ed, and when I was doing my teaching internship, it just didn't connect with me. Teaching within the public schools, I was always asking questions about race and equity. And my professors were just like, you know what, you should go to graduate school. You can get those answers met there. And so when I went to Columbia's Teachers College, I worked at Hollingsworth. And that actually was the first time I was in a classroom that was Focus on aesthetics, discovery that was child-led. Can you talk about what that is? It was Montessori-inspired, a little bit of Reggio Emilia, a little bit of Waldorf. It was a mixed ideology practice. Definitely child-led. We did have themes that we explored with the children, but let's say the theme we're exploring are trees for three weeks. If the children get really into it and start getting more to the nuances, those three weeks might turn into a month or two. So we really let the children stretch our own imagination. And we just made sure the environment was prepared for the children each day. And I came from like scripted lesson plans. That's the world I came from. Then I came here. I was like, wow, this is exciting. And then I instantly thought about like, how would this look? like for black children so that question was in the back of my mind throughout everything after leaving hollingworth i was like i need a job so then i went into the charter network and that also was very eye-opening to me i'm not here to say there's anything bad about charter schools but for me i just felt like there wasn't enough grace for parents especially for the Black parents who were trusting that charter network. We came with our own preconceived notions, right? Children falling behind, some children coming to school not having a full meal. Like all of these things are like preconceived notions. That the school had about families, you mean? Also what we as educators, as workers in the space, also had about families because it was a very um like savior mentality like if we're not doing this for the kids who's going to do it for the kids that kind of mindset Mm -hmm. and so I just really want to understand because I didn't have kids at that time I worked with children but I didn't know what it felt like to be a parent so I actually got into birth work and being in the room with families with birthing women Like a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, they care about their children. Like the light, the love that oozes from the body when the child is born. I was like, oh, okay. That's when, for me, grace became part of the equation when it came to education and less about theory, less about doing it right all the time. I was like, oh, we just need to be practical, it just needs to make sense. And then after working with families and being a doula, I was like, "Oh, okay, let's let's make it practical and realistic, and not that the sky is falling."
0: And really connected with people's experience, right? It sounds like you identified with those birthing mothers, and you realized this is about connecting and being supportive to individuals.
1: Yes working with them to get them what they need. And sometimes that school was what they need. And sometimes there was actually other ways that was better suited for the child and their family. And just being honest and real with families and students and that experience led me to fall into Montessori in a way because the practices and the theory of Montessori aligned But I didn't know why it aligned. You can read about something or hear something and it just clicks. And that's how Montessori was for me. It was a very respectful ideology that I was like, ah, I want to learn more about it. Um, But as I got into the world of Montessori, again, I was wondering about Black children because it was uber white. My instructors was white, the schools that I worked at predominantly white, the children that I was serving, predominantly white, and I just wanted more. How can I learn more about Montessori, but also be true to my own identity and culture? So after my stint at the charter school, I actually went to Brooklyn to work at the Seneca Montessori School, and Seneca is a truly 100% Black space. Everything that's brought into the classroom needs to be representative of Black culture. So when I first started working there, it was a huge mind shift because I actually never worked in a space that was one 100% Black and two pro Black and very firm in that value. What was different about that? Like,
0: what are some of the details? Because one thing I would love to Help parents get from this podcast is how to bring their culture into their children's education, whether that's at home or in a center. What are some of the things that you do to make it richer culturally and help them feel more of their identity in the classroom?
1: So, for us, we had to do a deep dive with in the continent of Africa. So, we had to look at each country and study each country in terms, not just like the flag, but in terms of like food, clothes, music, language. On a higher education level, yes, I could pull books, articles, but I'm working with three, four and five year olds. So I couldn't find easy printables or even information that was broken down to a level that a child could understand. So a lot of things I was typing out, writing out, freehand drawing for the classroom we celebrated the major holidays that are relevant within black culture which was really fun because we were able to bring in elders from the community to help us with those celebrations so like i tell Mm -hmm. families it can start very simple like you could bring in books but also like touch into your community and see what's available for you to visit, to see. Intergenerational education is key. So are there any elders in the community that you can bring in? Food is another wonderful touch point. Music. So I was able to bring those touch points into the classroom that actually made parents interesting. They're like, hey, my child came home talking about this and I never thought about it, but I used to make this with my grandma. It started larger conversations.
0: Wonderful. It's so encouraging, right? For the for the parents to embrace more of their, you know, history and their culture and bring that alive for, for children. Everybody benefits from that, right?
1: They do. And I, I will say I do find that sometimes there is so much hesitancy to wanting to do it quote unquote like right that the the ball never gets started we never get started on it because we're always reading we're always buying another book always researching so we can get it right so our children can be politically correct and make sure they don't hurt anyone's feelings and that's draining it's draining Mm -hmm. it's daunting when you're a parent you have so much on your plate already i'm just like Y'all, let's just make it make sense, to be honest. And it is messy. There's so many times I have said the wrong thing, put my foot in my mouth, offended, And then that's where grace comes in and apologies. Just letting go of the ego of like, I'm going to be right all the time because I'm not. I feel like when you take your dive and you just start, it gets easier along the way. It becomes more freeing where it is actually second nature now. We are like, hmm, I'm curious about this. I don't have to have it all together (laughs) before I say something.
0: Can you give a specific example of that?
1: Of having it all together before I say something? (laughs) Uh, Well, what you had to look up. Or what you thought you had to look up. Yeah, so we just, I believe, yes, we just moved out of Native American Heritage Month. And for me, that was a huge area that I actually did not know much about. My trajectory within schooling was very traditional. Like I still remember my kindergarten, we were doing Pilgrims and Indian play.
0: Oh, my kids too. I have the pictures and they're
1: they're mortified now, you know? Yeah, I know this might be embarrassing to say, but I was in my mid-20s. I'm cringing. Like I was in grad school before I realized like, oh, a lot of the lesson plans I did during my teacher program were wrong. And this time around, I checked out books. I listened to pronunciations of tribes. Children asked questions where I'm like, I don't know. Let's look it up. We still have students who believe that Native American and Indigenous people still lived in teepees. And so it was like, like hey, let's just jump into it and talk about it. And it became more frank. And I tell you, that was very like cringeworthy to me things that you learned about yourself and things that you did were like wrong you always like I don't want anybody to know or I don't want to step back in that trap and now I'm like yeah I did all of that I got really messy but it's freeing in a way saying yeah I learned that way but now I want to do something different I want to do something better. There's so many other voices talking about their history and culture that I don't have to spend hours researching on my own because there's so many voices out there today that I can listen from and share.
0: And find that you do relate to, you know, every kind of person. And also you're modeling for these children. I'm thinking as you're talking, you're you're modeling how to be an open-minded, self-forgiving lifelong learner, which is the only way you can be a lifelong learner, is to be self-forgiving, staying open. Because just as you said about all the things that people are afraid to step into, because they might not do it perfectly or get it right, get it politically correct. You know, that's how we close off to learning. And that's the opposite of what we want to teach children, right? From when they're little.
1: Oh, yes. To be open and accepting, And I do have in the back of my mind and I'm totally aware of it's a real thing about being called out it's a real thing about being blacklisted it's like those are real things but like if we think about how we're teaching the next generation how we're teaching our children I try not to let those concerns and those fears limit my work that's just a part of the reality that we live in like people live off (laughs) bites. People yeah. live off sound bites, snapshots, Instagram captions.
0: And they can read into it a really extreme thing, too, you know, because it's just if all you're giving is a sound bite, you know, the meaning is, is lost and kind of corrupted. So, yeah, I mean, I like what you're doing is so, so freeing and you're giving people permission to do that, too. And, you know, definitely as white people, well, I can't see for everyone, but I definitely feel that where. Oh gosh, I'm going to say it wrong, I'm going to do it wrong and and I have I have done it wrong plenty of times, but we keep trying, you know, we just keep learning and trying and doing better and that's really all any of us can do. That's it. Keep showing up. And the other area that I really wanted to dive into with you is the nature education because for me it's like the ultimate the idea of like going to a nature school sounds so incredible, and I wanted to hear a little about that and also how parents in urban environments or home environments where there's no outside yard can bring nature into their children's lives. If you, if you have any ideas about that.
1: To have nature and to be in nature doesn't mean that you're hiking in the forest every day. It can be just walking in your community It could be bringing plants inside your home, having plants accessible. If you have animals, that's a part of nature too. But it's really teaching children, how can I coexist with mother earth? Because like, yes, it's freeing for children to run around. It's freeing to also just exist. But we also are teaching children, how do you care for the trees? How do you care for plants? animals. I'm talking also about earthworms and insects and spiders, things that you kind of step on and crush because you're scared of them or you run from them. Things that people are like, oh, it's just a bug. We're really teaching children that every, every essence is important to the grand scheme of things. Even the mosquito, everything is important to the greater picture. And so that's what working and being in nature has taught me.
0: And so what do you do when a child stomps on a bug?
1: We actually had to sit a child down today about farming earthworms. Like remind children that even an ant, mosquito, spike, earthworm, we're in their home. We are visiting their home for these four hours. Just like you wouldn't want someone to come into your home and squash you, hit you, pull you apart. We have to keep that same mindset when we're in these animals home. Some children, even myself, I'm not even gonna exclude myself. I am afraid like of bees, spiders. You won't see me walk deep into the woods because I don't do well with spiders. As if you're scared of these things, make space let's not tear down a spider's web because it takes spiders many, many days to make these homes. If you are afraid, let's not go down that path or walk around. So some of our children take it very much to heart when another classmate, sometimes intentionally, unintentionally (laughs) harms the animal. Now my co-founder Shelby and myself, we actually don't have to say much because the children actually step in and like ask questions like, hey, why did you do that? And then they problem solved. Like you could have did this, 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 or this <laughs> before you actually stepped on this animal. So it's just expanding children's ability to empathize and think about how are we co-living? Like how are we sharing this space?
0: That's so cool. And what do you do then when it's really, really cold or boiling hot? Don't the children complain?
1: Yes. So your listeners you probably heard clothing is everything. Clothing helps keep your body warm. Certain clothing helps keep your body cool. But sometimes you're just hot. And like many times I'm just cold as well. So we will sing, try to do handwork. We try to do something to activate the mind. I will say our children move their body a lot more so than Shelby and I. So a lot of the time when I'm like super cold, it's because I'm not moving my body enough to like generate heat. But the children will find ways to get their bodies warm again. If the plans that Shelby and I have doesn't work out, like, oh, let's do this, let's do that. They're like, nah, we actually want to play tag. We're like, cool. Because they're moving their bodies on days that it is pouring down rainy. We will find shelter. So you don't actually have an indoor space? We don't. Cool. That's so brave of you.
0: <laughs> and you don't <laughs> no. close the school if it's pouring rain? Wait, does it snow there? No, you're in the, where are you? In Atlanta. No snow. Thank goodness. But do you have rain days or days when you close the school because the weather's just too much?
1: We will close if it's lightning. Let's say we're outside and it's raining and we hear on a forecast because we're constantly checking our phones on days that it's rainy. We will let parents know ahead of time, like we need to close early because lightning's coming around 11 o'clock. And so parents will pick their children up early. Where we're co-located, we do have an indoor space, but we only use that indoor space when it's heavy rains. Like if it's drizzling, we're all fine. Two weeks ago, it was about 30-ish degrees and it was pouring rain. So we did spend an hour inside reading, doing community circle for us to like warm up our bodies but also to just take a break from the pouring rain and so by the time he we went back outside it was drizzling the kids were playing no one was thinking about going back inside but in that brief moment of that heavy rain we're like we just need some relief <laughs> and to speak for myself I need needed some relief.
0: Yes, I do think we feel it worse than the children sometimes. Their bodies just work better too, besides the fact that they're moving, you know, a lot. Their engines are newer. They're, they're a little fresher than mine for sure. So what's an example of a curriculum that you would have for your, your day? Is it totally child-led or do you do the, the Reggio Emilia thing of gathering from them what they want to explore further and then you go with that? How do
1: you do it? We have a mixture of like a Montessori-Waldorf flow, but it is sprinkled with some Reggio Amelia. So we do have a rhythm for the day where we have our community circle. We have lesson time, natural exploration time, snack. We might have a daily activity, which is based in nature. Then we have lunch, and then it's time to say farewell. And so when we have our work cycle, we do align it to um, the Georgia State standards. We use the standards just as a guide because many of our families are homeschooling families or wish to homeschool. So we try to align ourselves with what parents need. A lot of them are new to homeschooling. We have a few that have been doing it for a while. So they use us more as a A place for their child to be social. But for those who are new to homeschooling, we always remind families about the state standards to use it as an alignment, but we're not rigid like a traditional school who will go strictly by standards.
0: And what grade do you go up to or what year?
1: We have three, and our oldest is nine.
0: And are you sort of increasing it as you go, or are you? you decided to stop there at that age.
1: We're such a tight-knit community so I don't see much turnover in our well we will just keep having that same age but I think we're going to increase it as we go. What is so refreshing about Gather is that we get to know the strengths of our students and we get to know what they're interested in and that helps us prepare what's going to be at community circle it helps us prepare what's going to be given during the work cycle. And that's where I'm able to bring in some Montessori elements to help teach those ideas. It's nice that we have that flexibility that we're not solely using one curriculum. We're able to just flow with the different needs of our students.
0: That's great. But going back to your curriculum, what's an example of nature exploration? Is that children doing what they want or is that guided? It's two-pronged.
1: Yes, children with their mind, and it's also guided. So before we go into morning circle, we let the children do nature exploration, and that's free play. So we have some children who will like to like dig. Children like to find rocks or fossils. Some children like to run and move their bodies. So we allow children to climb on trees. They, they each get to do what they choose. After we do community circle and set the expectation for today, because we're learning about animal habitats. So everything after community circle is more guided or what we could call structure. So if we're doing our watercolor station, children are finding items in nature that animals will use as habitat and then they're recreating that using watercolor. Or we're finding native trees in Georgia. So they're finding leaves that they can write about in their journal. So it's still in nature, but it's much more guided and structured than what it looks like in the beginning of the day.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds so idyllic to me. What are some big mistakes that you've made where you learned, oh gosh, this doesn't work or uh, have there been things
1: like that that come to mind? It does. Because like idyllic is a beautiful word to use for this environment. I also want to be realistic when parents are listening to this because some parents would be extremely skeptical. Like, how are they learning math? How are they reading? Those are really big questions too. And I will say that the biggest learning curve I learned about our community co-running Gather is how we serve children. I strongly believe that children should be in the environment where they have some elements of the natural world. I'm not saying that you have to be outside all day or even six hours a day, but I do believe children need to be tied to some aspect of the natural world. But there also needs to be a balance. because so a lot of our families are layering what we're doing at Gather within their home. So they are doing the math the reading, the science, on top of what we're doing. Families who have this idea of the school should do everything. The school should teach my child. The school should do the social and emotional work. And when the child comes home, we're just doing routines. You get snack, rest a little bit, dinner's prepared, bedtime routine, and then we start again. I would say gather is not a best fit for a family who operates that way. This is really a place where we are partnering with parents who are also doing some of the work at home. So yeah, that was the biggest landing curve. I think as parents, as loved ones, we do want the best. Like we want the best for our children. I think there's very few people who will be like, yeah, I want to give my child just 30%. Right, mediocre,
0: mediocre education for
1: my child. Do the best for our child just looks different based on what we have and what our needs are. Of course.
0: You shared this quote from Queen Tease. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah, Thaise. Um, Queen Thaise on your Instagram page, and it stuck out to me. Your life is a curriculum and you need to take ownership of that, whether your child attends public, private, charter school, or is homeschooled. Yes. And that feels very true, you know, even to when you have adult children like I do. The gatherings, the way that you connect with them and continue to engage with them and be with them and your relationship is you're teaching, you're teaching relationships, you're teaching what it's like to be adults, you know, together, what it's like to be an older adult. Yes. You're teaching how your career and your life goals keep maybe changing. And, you know, it is so rich, the whole experience. And to have that understanding that all of a child's life is learning. It's not just what they go
1: to gather school for. That is key. It changes. Like we all go through seasons. We all go through changes. And I wish that I could like sprinkle fairy dust on all parents to realize that things change. Children change. Styles of learning, styles of parenting sometimes change. And that's all okay. Like Some of our families, I know for a fact, gather is perfect. Can I say that gather will be a perfect fit for that same family two, three, four years from now? I can't because the child might need something new, something else that another environment can provide for. And that's okay. I think sometimes we get so rooted in a certain philosophy or ideal that we totally miss the child who is in front of us. And we also silence our needs too, as parents, as adults. We put our needs on the back burner when it's just seeing shift and change and that's okay. Exactly.
0: This is also answering my other question, which is what positive things have you learned or what kind of secrets have you learned about education?
1: Being able to walk with parents but not be too invested in the decisions that they make. I don't know if that's clear, but what I mean is...
0: Totally clear. Okay. As somebody that works with parents, totally clear. And and as a parent myself, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about parenting. Everybody gets to make those choices and they're not going to make the choices that you would make for them maybe, you know? And that's how it has to be. That's the, the beautiful part of it is they're developing their own relationship with their child. That's it.
1: And I think that has been the greatest lesson That parents are going to make their own decision and that's okay. And I can still be the individual I am, the teacher, all of the things that I am. And still also be in community with those families and be of like mind and find in those spaces. I think at year one, when we first started, we want to do everything right. We wanted to be everything to every parent. I remember making those calls, trying to get people to, like, come together. (laughs) That was, I want to say stressful, but they were like, what are y'all doing outside? How is my child learning anything? They will, we promise. We wanted to meet every parent's need or desire. And it was just too much. It was too much. And so that's the secret I learned. Just letting go saying like, this is what we offer. This is what we can provide your child and just leaving that on the table. And if you want to join us, we'd love to have you. If you's like, ah, this isn't for me, that's great. You can still communicate with us online. We have community events. If you would like to stop in, we would love to have you. Yeah, I think being very confident like
0: that, This is what we offer, and it may not be right for you. When my children were in preschool, there were big problems going on with a couple of the local preschools that parents really wanted them to teach more academics very early on. And the schools were feeling pressured by that, and some of them succumbed to that because they had to please the parents. And, you know, I was trying to support the early childhood educators. It's okay if people don't want what you have, but believe in what you have.
1: Yes, believe in what you have. And like parents could like mirror that back and believe how you are parenting your child because it is incredibly hard when we live in such a society that everything is outward facing. Like it seems like you are looking into everyone's home, seeing what they're doing. And like, of course, everyone's only showing the glamorized versions. Right, where they got it right. But it is so hard to just be like, I am doing this right. It's always like a question mark. I need the validation from someone outside of my yeah. own mind.
0: Yeah. When in fact, there's actually no right way. <laughs> I mean, that's the secret too. As somebody with older children, I can say there's no right way. It's a journey. You're learning all the time. Your child is changing. You're getting surprised and seeing what fit before it doesn't fit. It's just life. It's a journey. There's no end. Yes. And that you have found something that inspires you. And I I love how you said, I don't know if this was on your Instagram or on your your website, which is, by the way, Afrocentric Montessori. You said, I keep asking myself the question, what would it look like to create a Montessori space that uplifted, affirmed, celebrated black children? And that's what inspires you. That's what you wanted to offer that in the nature education, which is also incredible. And, you
1: know, I'm sure there may even be Black families that don't necessarily want that. We were pressed against the law for many Black families who were just like, my kid's not going to be running around outside when they can be reading, writing above grade level. I want my child to excel beyond their age. Oh, you came my little one. I do. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, Anthony, your mom is hiding in the closet. How crazy is that? He's
1: on my lap now, so he's <laughs> he like... He was
0: in the closet. What's your mom doing in the closet? Talking to <laughs> some lady on the computer. How could she do that? He said that. He's happy. He's like, ah,
1: reunited.
0: Well, we should probably end, but, you know, I could talk to you all day. I just love hearing about your work it's really inspiring it's just bringing back a lot of memories for me about the early years with my children as well and just kind of the choices that we've had to make and how imperfect it all was and thank you for all you do and and again ashley has an instagram page afrocentric montessori and also one for the gather forest school thank you for inviting me and also allowing my little one to join that's my favorite thing Bye Anthony. Oh, he's waving to you. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Take care and we'll talk soon. I know you'll want to check out Ashley's website, Afrocentric Montessori, where she shares the handcrafted materials she's been making for her classrooms for years. Many of them are available to buy, or there are even some free downloads. And these are learning materials some are wooden objects some are printables storytelling cards affirmation cards so many beautiful things so please check them out and you can also follow her pages afrocentric montessori on instagram and gather Forest school and i want to remind everyone that both of my books are available on audio at audible.com no bad kids toddler discipline without shame and elevating childcare: A guide to respectful parenting. They're also in paperback at Amazon and an ebook at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Apple.com. Thanks so much for listening. We can do this.